Welcome back to Takes by the Lake from Cleveland.com, our all-sports podcast that really is just about the Browns of the draft. Doug Maurice from Cleveland.com. This is our third podcast of the week. We're excited, fired up for the draft. Two great guests today, both return guests here at Takes by the Lake, but I wanted to get them together. We've had them separately, and I had 10 burning questions about the Browns and this draft to ask both of them. We talked about Faith and John Dorsey. We talked about what the Browns should do at number four. We talked about who they think is going to go at number one. We talked about how many playoff-type players are on this roster right now. And then we ended with the overall state of the Browns. Are they on an upward trajectory? The two guests, Jake Burns from WaitingForNextYear.com. Great film guy. Great at breaking down the Browns. You can follow him on Twitter. You must follow him on Twitter. At Jake underscore Burns 18. And the other guest, tremendous Twitter follow. Pete Smith. He's he's on Twitter all day. Typing hard takes. Interesting hard takes about the Browns. Pete is a guy who lets you know where he stands. He writes for NFLSpinZone.com, breaks down draft guys, breaks down the Browns there. Follow him on Twitter at underscore Pete Smith underscore. This is an hour-long conversation, but I think it's going to go fast because we hit 10 different topics with these guys. Thanks to you guys for joining Takes by the Lake, for following along. Please subscribe so you don't miss any of these podcasts. I try to do it every Friday. Some Fridays I miss. Some weeks I go nuts and do three. But we don't want you to miss any. Subscribe at Google Play. Subscribe at iTunes on the Apple Podcast, right? Maybe there's another podcast site that you use. I hope we're there. But I want you guys to subscribe so you don't miss any takes by the lake. Because eventually when the draft is over, maybe we'll talk about the Indians one week. When one week, Maybe we'll talk about the Cavs in the playoffs. But for now, we're focused on the draft. We're talking with Jake. We're talking with Pete. And we're getting into the Browns ten different ways on takes by the lake. I am honored to have two of my favorite members of the Browns Twitter universe joining us here on Takes by the Lake. First, we have Pete Smith, who writes for NFL Spin Zone, writes about the Browns, tweets about the Browns. I told Pete that in the course of a day, there may be no person on earth whose tweets I read more than Pete Smith. So, Pete, thank you for joining us. I'm uh, immensely flattered. And Jake Burns from Waiting for Next Year is a great film guy who breaks stuff down. Both these guys are so good at breaking things down, which is why I want them here. Um, Jake has been on before, and I'm a little sad because Jake is a great Twitter follow, but Draft Twitter is driving him a little nuts, right, Jake? <laughs> yeah, man, like Pete said, it's about two weeks uh, two weeks too long of a wait here. So, yeah, I'm getting there. My fatigue has reached its climax, so... So this is, this is hopefully some good break from it, some good conversations. All right. So what we're going to do, I have 10 burning questions about the Browns. We're going to ask both Jake and Pete to answer. Um, I think it'll be a good way. I want to assess the draft, but I also sort of want to assess the state of the franchise. Uh, we're recording this on Thursday. I was out in Berea today um, for John Dorsey's press conference where I felt like we really didn't learn very much. Um, <laughs> right? You guys probably watched that. Did we learn anything? I've obviously been very critical of, of the media uh, in terms of you know some of the questions they ask. You guys asked some great questions on this one, and you just got nowhere. And I'm sure in Dorsey's mind, he's answering them with things in his mind where it makes sense. But anyone else, it's just lather until he's just done talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's just confirmation bias is what people are looking for in those. And, you know, you're not going to get very much out of out of Dorsey this close to the draft, and that's that's par for the course, but the questions are going to be asked. And, yeah, I mean, it was about what I expected it to be. Not much would be solved, but, but uh, the conversation had to be had. Yeah, I mean, we know he's not going to tell us who they're going to pick, you know, yeah. but it's... You know, you're trying to you're trying to sort of like get in his mind a little bit, and he just does not want you in there. So he was putting up roadblocks left and right. Um, all right, let's get to the ten burning questions. The first one is uh, 
Big picture about the draft, and Jake, we'll start with you on this one, and then we'll get to you, Pete. On a scale of 1 to 10, what is your level of faith in the Browns to get this draft right? 1 being they're completely going to blow it, 10 being they're going to knock it out of the park. Jake, where are you with the Browns in this draft? Well, we've seen, it's a great question, we've seen so many regime changes that that you you just want to trust a front office, and and some of the names here make sense to, to pull off a, a better draft. I mean, I, I would say I'm at about a, I'm at about a seven. I know that I, I should give them the benefit of the doubt based on their history. The Josh Allen rumblings that we continue to hear, and the connections that are made there, just make you so uneasy. But you know, we've been here before, where the obvious first overall pick should be made. Um, you know, in this case, it's not so obvious, but it's just any quarterback in this group feeling other than Josh Allen is the guy to pick. So you know, Pete and I are big Baker Mayfield guys. We obviously have come to the fact that it probably won't be Baker, but to, to, to some degree, you just want them to make the quarterback pick of the of the three guys there at the top that isn't Josh Allen. And I have a pretty good feeling that they'll make the right pick despite all of the rumors. And then the rest of the draft kind of falls into place in terms of what they do it for. They got two good options, either trading back or taking you know Bradley Chubb. Um, you know, I, 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 to answer quickly, I feel about a seven. There's good names in the front office. The, the, the front office side is, seems to be separated a little bit from the coaching side in terms of let's make this decision with our guys. So I feel I feel I feel relatively good enough to, to about a seven feels good to me. Pete, are you at a seven or are you a little higher or lower? Uh, I'll say about a six, and and you know part of it is because that guy you don't talk about anymore sort of put them in a position where this draft up lines up so well it's really hard for them to mess it up. Yeah. Uh, now, granted, they could do it, but if, if they take, you know, presumably a quarterback, presumably Darnold at one, you know, they're, they're basically going to fall into Bradley Chubb or trading down. Either scenario is great, uh, and they're probably going to end up, you know, staring one of those really, really good running backs in the face at 33-35, and if you just do those three things right off the bat, you've done really well, and, and a lot of it just becomes... You know, certainly there are more picks, more players to go. But if you get those three right, or at least you know what we think is right based on based on what we know right now, you're you've immensely improved your football team from a talent standpoint, and then hopefully from a I guess thought process standpoint of going from an offense that felt like uh, well, quote, the spine of the offense was the running game, and then you know, he immediately ripped the spine out of the uh, spine out of the team. Where hopefully now, between the moves they've made, hopefully negotiating Duke Johnson, that thing, they will have you know a running game they cannot say no to. Yeah, I I think I'm probably at an eight based on two things. One is what you said: he who shall not be named. But I'll say it. I'll say Sashi. I'll say it. I'll say his name. Our guy Sashi set him up almost to the point where you almost can't get it wrong. And then I do feel like um, John Dorsey is a guy who's been around. He hired people who have been in the league. It feels like there are some smart people in that room. I think you guys both like the fact that Andrew Barry is still around and contributing to the Browns. Um, I feel like the like there's decent processes in place and some decent – people making decisions. Again, we don't have to go back over um, would I have fired the GM, would you guys have fired the GM and replaced them, but you know, they have so many options that I almost feel like they can't get it wrong, and and again, it's not just about comparing it to maybe to Sashi Brown, but you know, I think they're more set up than they were in the Ray Farmer era, or they're more set up when maybe Mike Holmgren was not really paying attention, or Mike Lombardi was doing things like they just have some people there that I think there's a chance that they almost can't help but get it right. So I'm I'm feeling pretty good heading into this. Number two, and we'll start with you, Pete. In the end, not what you would do, but who do you think they're going to take number one? And this is the fear of Josh Allen question. Do you think it's possible they might take Josh Allen? Or who do you think in your heart, in your brain, they're really going to take Pete? I think they're going to take Sam Darnold. Uh, and I... You know, it's not what I would do. I would take Baker Mayfield, but I certainly understand why they would take Sam Darnold. He certainly has the potential to be an all-pro quarterback. 
Uh, his tape is not super great, but there's a lot to just really love about the kid. He's very unique uh, in how he plays and, and certain things he brings to the position. Uh, and, you know, my biggest fear, honestly, it, it isn't Sam Darnold. It's Hugh Jackson. And, you know, get it, basically keeping him away, I'm hoping it's mostly going to be Ken Zampezi, the quarterback's coach, you know, having that one-on-one relationship and really those being two guys that are working together. But, yeah, I mean, uh, look, Josh Allen is out there. I I honestly think when it comes down to it, that was more – I know there's people who are saying it's legitimate and everything else. I I don't think it's there. I don't think it's real. I just – I cannot get it through. I cannot see it. I cannot process how there's – what are three – or four, if you really like Lamar Jackson, great, great quarterback talents, and you take that. Jake, do you agree? Yeah, 100%. I mean, it, it, a lot of what I say will echo what, what, what Pete just said. But, you know, if this were any other draft uh, without uh, what I feel is, and I'm sure most people who evaluate the position feel is a pretty loaded quarterback draft, the idea of entertaining Josh Allen at one is still wild. It's still unprecedented based on his track record as a quarterback and who he is as a player. It's unprecedented that he'd be considered at one, but I would understand it more if he was considered at one outside of this class. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like both of you guys have mentioned, I just don't, I think it's a smoke screen. I think that there's probably parts of Josh Allen's game um, that this, this staff really does love. And that's understandable. There's some things that really make you take a step back and scratch your head and say, wow, that's pretty impressive. But I just can't accept that this group would risk their first and probably the franchise's most important draft on a player who has such question around how he is going to be not only right now but how he's going to be in three years. I just can't. I just can't accept that that's the route that they would take when there are so many other good names there to be taken. And and, and I'll agree. I think Sam Darnold is the pick. He's the cleanest prospect in the in the big picture of things. I get the idea. Like I said, like Pete said, I'm a Pete. I'm a or sorry. I'm a Baker Mayfield guy too. But I understand the angle on Sam Darnold, and he's got a lot of things to really like, too. The one thing that, that Dorsey said today, and again, I don't know that he was telling the truth about anything, not because he's a terrible person, just because why would a GM actually tell the truth a week before the draft? But when he was talking about consensus, and I think one of you guys tweeted about this, if, if he really is believing that he wants the organization and the decision makers and the scouts and everybody in the front office to sort of gather around one guy and, and come together and he wants consensus for a pick, how do you get 25 people to agree on Josh Allen? You know, that, that, that if, you're get, if you're looking for consensus and if he's not, if he's not saying, you know what, I'm going to take everybody's advice, but I'm making this pick, I'm going to do what I think is best. If he's really talking about he wants everybody in the room, and I know a lot of it is just talking to talk, but how could how could there be any consensus on Josh Allen? If it's consensus, then Darnold is consensus, right? Yeah, well, cer- that, certainly. Not only that, done. but the, the if 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 he's saying in Berea, then I know right now the analytics department is not Berea because there's no mathematical formula on this planet that is going to come out and say the analytics department, however much they factor in, is going to tell you this is a smart move. That it just doesn't exist. So, I, I, you know. He's the only guy out of this group, and maybe Baker Mayfield to a small degree, that you could really say everybody was in on this pick. There's just, there's too many, and, and this may be the one thing where you could say you're a little worried about this front office, the idea there's too many cooks in the kitchen. There's just so many guys that there's that many opinions. Uh, I think consensus is, A, impossible, and, and if the quarterback starts playing poorly, we're going to find out real fast how, how much that consensus didn't exist. And then B, if it is, he's the only. The, the, those are the only guys where you can sort of really see where everybody sort of rallied and sort of. Get, like in some ways, I almost feel like Josh Allen and and Baker Mayfield like the compromise is Sam Darnold. Like that yeah. seems feels in some ways like that's the middle ground. Yeah, I think that makes sense. All right, we'll move to number three, and we'll start with you, Jake. This is a very this is a very Browns question of me. I think. What does disaster look like in this draft? Like, what is the worst case scenario, Jake? And I think I can imagine where your scenario is going to start. Yeah, I think that 
Yeah, it's obvious for most people. I think that the the, the riskiest quarterback is obviously going to be Josh Allen. I mean, I guess the worst case scenario here would be guys. It's tough. It's a coin flip that they don't take a quarterback at one or four. I guess that would be the worst case scenario because then they're passing on all of these guys. Yeah. But you know, I, if you want to do for me worst case scenario is actually spending the first pick on Josh Allen, then you then you trade out of four and you trade back and you take a tackle too early because this tackle class is pretty weak overall. Um, and then and then you know at, at, at twenty two you take a a high risk defensive player maybe like a Marcus Davenport because he's the best pass rusher left. And then um, you reach on a, on a wide receiver that, you know, doesn't really fit for what we need at, at 33 and 35, and you pass on uh, the running backs that are there or, or somebody like uh, an interior presence like a Harrison Phillips or a Taven Bryan there, and you, you take somebody who's, who's a risk. I mean, if they, if they, my worst-case scenario is they reach on a tackle in the first, the first uh, three picks there, or sorry, first two picks, and they, and, they, and they take Josh Allen. That's just where I go with the worst possible outcomes. Pete, I imagine your disaster scenario also starts with Allen. Yeah, it, it, in fact, I, if they passed on the quarterback class entirely and just took Bradley Chubb at one and Harold Landry at four, I'd be infinitely more excited than I would be if they took Josh Allen at one and then at four. My worst case pairing for that would pairing with that would be Saquon Barkley, and and that would just scream to me the Browns are getting set for 1983. Yeah, uh, it just. There's, and Gettleman, you know, got criticized for this today, talking about this stuff with running back. But it just, there's just no way it makes any sense for for the Browns. To, obviously, Allen and all of his flaws, but the idea that you would, in what what is a historic running back class, that you would reach, and if you, and certainly, I know some people think he's the most talented running back in decades, or whatever. I heartily disagree with that. But the idea that you you're going to go so early on running back with so many guys in this class that you feel you have to get the number one guy who's in my opinion barely better than than the guys after him. Yeah, I th- I think that makes a lot of sense. I I hope we're not heading toward that, but I I thought I needed to ask at least one disaster question. All right, number four, Pete. We'll start with you. I'm very curious about this, and I'll I'll throw a caveat in here. What would it take for you? to trade down from number four. And I guess part of that question is, would Bradley Chubb have to be off the board? Would Chubb have to go number two for you to even consider trading down? Or is there a scenario where Chubb is on the board at four and there would be an offer out there that would be realistic for the Browns to get and that you would take, Pete? Uh, I could... I could easily see a scenario where I trade down even if Chubb is on the board. And that's that's for me because I, I feel Harold Landry, the defensive end out of Boston College, is, is just right behind him as a player and arguably for where the Browns are at is more valuable because he's just a pure pass rusher. And, and Bradley Chubb, to me, in a lot of ways, and this is not a knock on him, is a more is basically the charismatic version of Emmanuel Ogba. Uh, you know, you know what he is. He's a pretty good pass rusher, but he's ultimately a guy's really going to dominate the trenches, which is what Ogba does. But he does—he's more entertaining, I guess. He's—he's he's a lot of fun. He's got that sort of edge. He calls it himself the little brother syndrome. That's great, uh, and I love—he's fun. I just love watching him. But uh, because I value Harold Landry so much, because uh, I do think there's a, a real scenario where if the Giants take a player, and it sounds like they're going to. Uh, that the Browns are in that seat to get that godfather offer from either Buffalo or Arizona or maybe somebody else comes out crazy like that. And 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 I'm sorry, but, I mean, the, the, if you can get your quarterback and keep the gravy train rolling from the, uh, you know, the, the, the fruit of the original Sashi tree where you can keep being in position to control the draft, yes, absolutely, especially – and and I'm and I don't necessarily. I mean, I'd lo- certainly want to get that for their first round pick this year. But if you can then roll over and get you know, say, twelfth pick from Buffalo, that's a popular thing to throw out there. But you you get that big offer, and maybe you get Buffalo's one next year when Buffalo looks atrocious. Um, that becomes a huge thing, and you just be, continue to be in a position where you control the draft, assuming you've locked down your quarterback, and then you just are from then on out. You're just a power broker, and if there's somebody who's just too good to pass up, great. It certainly wouldn't break my heart if the Browns, you know, turned it all down and said we're going to take Bradley Chubb. 
But I think having Bradley Chubb there actually is a little bit of a leverage point for, for Dorsey and company because he can say to whoever's calling up, uh, look, we love this guy. So you guys, you know, whatever you thought you were offering, you know, you better spice it up a little bit and play that little bit of a head game or maybe a, a GM in, in Buffalo or, or Arizona is panicking in that 15-minute window uh, or 30 minutes, I guess, in this situation. And maybe they do something that maybe they, they, they might regret in the long run, but they felt like they had to pay to get their guy. Jake, let me specify the question even a little bit more for you. Uh, it, to me, if you're going to do it, it would have to include a number one next year. I wouldn't just want, for instance, Buffalo's two first-rounders this year. If Buffalo says, this year's number 12 and next year's first-rounder, would you do it, Jake? No, I, I think you have to take Buffalo for more than that. I think you have to take more. Them, okay. maybe, maybe, yeah, I think you have to take them for 12, 22, and then, like, like, like we were just talking about, the point that was just made, you're going to have two teams vying for that position. And especially if Saquon Barkley ends up going second overall and you're in that spot where that pick is valuable to teams who are panicking, trying to move up to get their guy, I think you have to come away with the two first-rounders Buffalo has this year and their number one next year. I think that's the only way i do it. I mean, I love Harold Landry much like Pete does. He's, he's a great football player and he fits a lot of what they need. But I also have a genuine fear of Harold Landry being gone by 12. So okay. I, would have to, I, would have to, I would have to gauge whether I feel comfortable with the idea that Harold Landry's still on the board at 12 and I'm taking that risk factor there, is that risk worth it if I'm only getting 12 and 22? Maybe not. Maybe, But I feel a little bit more comfortable taking that risk if I know I also get Buffalo's first next year and I know they're not going to be very good. They're going to start A.J. McCarron, a quarterback, or this rookie they're going to draft. So I need to feel like that risk is worth it. I also understand wholeheartedly if they just say, hey, man, we want to cash in these chips and take our number, our guy here at number four. So I get both angles. I need to take Buffalo to the woodshed. They're the team that has the most to offer. I'm sure Arizona could put something together around their first, second round pick this year, maybe a fourth round this year and their first round next year. But Buffalo's the team I look at and say this is pretty obvious that they're pretty hungry for this player and we're at the prime spot to take them for what they're worth. Yeah, I'm there. With the, ca- the, the caveat I'll add is let's say the Browns trade on with Buffalo because that's the popular thing and they mm-hmm. go as well. And they get a huge haul of picks, even if they're from this year. The Browns could easily turn around and use some of those picks to trade up from 12 if yep. they have some guy they really like and say, you know, San Francisco sitting there at nine and they go, we love Harold Landry or we love, you know, we love Denzel Ward, we love whoever. And they go, hey, we're going to, you know, we've got all these picks and now we're in this position where we could just, we're going to go get our guys however we can do it. Yeah, I think Absolutely. that that makes a lot of sense. To me, the idea, and I'm going to write something about this, I love the idea of like perpetually having two first-rounders, and everyone is always waiting sort of for the final analysis of the Wentz deal. What if you couldn't make the final analysis of the Wentz deal for like three more years? Because they keep trading their second first-rounder to move back and get like another first rounder. And you you cap I love the idea of the Browns, the most desperate team in the NFL, being in a situation to capitalize on other teams' desperation. And I think if you could move back, I think Buffalo very well may get in with desperate situation. If you could get that first rounder next year along with the first rounders this year, I think at twelve you might have a shot. Maybe you get Landry, maybe Denzel Ward falls. Maybe you think another corner is worthy at 12. And then, like you said, again, people people hated the, the trade last year, right? Everybody wanted Deshaun Watson. They, and people say, oh, they, like, they, they traded down. They didn't trade down. They traded up. They turned the number 12 pick last year into the number four pick this year. And, by the way, they got Jabril Peppers, too. So I just – I love the idea of the perpetual second rounder, and I know – I don't like it that there's people in Cleveland who just are so afraid of the phrase trade down that they dismiss it out of hand. I think there's some media people who do that as well because I do think with these quarterbacks there is opportunity there and how great would it be to see the Browns take advantage of somebody. Yeah, I think most people are scorned because of the quarterbacks they keep passing on. Yep. And if you take the quarterback at one, you end a little bit of yep. that. So. You know, that's the beauty of what this fourth pick allows them to do this year is it gives them the flexibility to play with things and find that guy they really, really fall in love with. And if they think he's going to be there in that 9 to 12 range, then pull the trigger on it. Keep, keep, 
keep dominating the first round to an extent and, and control the future on that one. All right, Jake, we'll start with you with question number five. Are you definitely targeting a running back in these first two rounds with these first five picks? I know you don't know exactly how the draft is going to go, but especially with the number of backs that seem like they'll be there early in the second round, are you thinking the Browns definitely should take a running back, or would you be okay if they didn't? So it gets interesting. I don't know how much they value Carlos Hyde. The signing is interesting. I'm not like I said. I know they obviously value Duke Johnson. You'd be silly not to. And you have Hyde, who's done some things well. He's he's to me, he's another Isaiah Crowell. And debatably, he's 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 really not much better. He could be even seen as worse than Isaiah Crowell. So I, I mean, it, how they value the position will be interesting. I know I would take one in the first five picks there at sixty four. I I actually when I look at things. And where guys will be available, like Nick, or I'm uh, sorry, um, yeah, Nick Chubb at 64 is, is is a home run. He might go earlier than that, but I just don't know if they're going to pull the trigger on a running back before 64. Um, and I still think even if they don't, they can get a really good running back still. Um, you know, in that in that third round. Or, I mean, I know they don't really have a third round, a late one, but um, you know, I think where, where I target a running back personally. Unless if Darius Geis falls to, to 33 or 35, you run to the podium. If I love Sony Michelle, Pete and I are going to differ on that. I really like him, but they might not value him the way I value uh, him there. So that's another area. But if I'm talking about where I think John Dorsey and company look at a sweet spot for running back, 64 makes sense, and, and, and Rashad Penny, Nick Chubb make the most sense for them at that spot. Pete, you taking running back? Yeah, not and I, I don't like the – the Carlos Hyde side, and it's, I, I think he's an okay running back. And I, I just look at this class as if, if, if I was sort of running this team, I would have come into this with the idea that I was going to take two because I think this class is that, that good, and the position is that translatable where you could you could have effectively transformed your your running back room in, in a day. Uh, but yes, specifically, I want one of these really really great backs, uh, and and the guys I have in mind are. are Nick Chubb, I love Nick Chubb. I, I, I and and if, even if you don't like Carlos Hyde like I don't, I think he'd pair really well with Nick Chubb. Uh, and and that stylistically, uh, the way they play, they're both you know in between the tackles, guys who, who are smart, get what they're supposed to get, so on and so forth. I love Royce Freeman, who I think a lot of people are down on out of Oregon. Uh, he's incredibly athletic at, at 230 pounds. He's been super productive for for the Ducks for four years, and I think people are a little bit down on him because Oregon went down, and he was just sort of there, and he had the shoulder issue and stuff, but he's just been great. I'm not a Sony Michelle guy, but, you know, there are just too many great backs, and even if you don't, and if even if you're one of these people who loves Saquon Barkley, you know, I think there's a happy medium where you can get one of these guys, and they genuinely do have franchise talent in that second round whether it's 33 35 those seem that seems like a sweep spot to uh, do it but if you want to wait till 64 or maybe they trade down uh, you know somewhere in there to get that extra third round pick but to me especially if we're going to take and this could be of any of the rookie quarterbacks i don't care who you pick but to me there's just such an inherent value and one of the biggest misfires the browns had last year is they put poor Deshaun Kaiser out there and they couldn't run the ball. And put your stamp on the running game here that you're going to say, not only is it going to be good for the rookie, it's going to be great for Tyrod Taylor, who has been benefiting from LaShawn McCoy in Buffalo, that you're saying, this is who we're going to be. Tyrod Taylor had LaShawn McCoy, he's great on play action, and those types of things. So when you do put this kid in, whoever it is, whenever it happens, you've got something you can sort of lean on where you don't see this kid out there like Deshaun Kaiser where you've got this 21-year-old kid who has no idea what he's doing and he's being asked to carry an offense. Yeah, I I think that makes sense. I think that makes sense. Um, Pete, we'll do number six starting with you because I know you like DJ Moore. Would you pick a receiver in these first five picks, Pete? Yes. Uh, and, and I do love DJ Moore. Uh, he's, I have a big board out. He's number six on it. He's one of, he's an elite athlete with elite production. And if you watch him on tape, Doug, I'm sure you have covering the Buckeyes. 
he is just unbelievable, and he's not even 21 yet. Uh, he's enormous. Like he, he just compared to a guy like Denzel Ward, he's got about 30 pounds on him. Yeah. Uh, and he looks like a tailback. In a lot of ways, he looks like Duke Johnson, except he's a full-time receiver. Um, I'm not a Jarvis Landry fan. I don't like the signing. I don't like the contract. I don't think it really helps you all that much. Uh, certainly, I've had more than a few naysayers on that point who think it's great. Whatever. But the receiver class is outstanding. And I, and I know it doesn't have that traditional Julio Jones and A.J. Green are in this trap. That's fine. To me, D.J. Moore is on that level. But even if you don't believe that, and you can come out with a guy like a Cortland Sutton, you can come out with a guy like Equinemius St. Brown or Dante Pettis, or there's just so many... And you can get somebody that really fits what you want to do. If you're nervous about Corey Coleman in the hand, if you're nervous about Josh Gordon and his, you know, hopefully behind him issues, that you've got somebody that you can add that they can sort of be eased into an offense. They don't have to be out there and be the man because they have all these other guys there. Then I'm all for it. Now, certainly the, the class is deep enough where you could be patient and wait, and I think there will be tremendous value players later. But I'm just looking at what this draft has. Running back and receiver are two of the best positions, and then quarterback, that it's just smart, good business in my mind to attack the areas where the draft is strongest. And and the biggest difference, you know, the the one commonality that Sashi Brown's Browns had and – John Dorsey's Browns has it. Sashi Brown was in the advantage of having the situation of they were so bad they needed everything, and then John Dorsey has plugged up enough holes where they can basically take the best player available. In either scenario, they are at the liberty, and I think this is a big boy franchise move if you want to credit John Dorsey for something, is they're now in a position where they can take the best guy available and potentially be competitive that taking that best player available, chances are it's one of those three second-round picks is going to be a receiver. Jake, I know there's some people, you know, think maybe they can get a a good cornerback early in the second round. We talked about running back early second round. There might be a tackle there that's worth it. How much are you thinking about a receiver in the first five picks? I think they have to. I think that the the, the points that were just touched on, uh, you know, with with Josh Gordon and Corey Coleman, I've said it for a long time, you're, you're another broken hand and you know, one one mistake or one slip up, and uh, you know, one beer away from being without two of your top receivers. So, um, but the beauty of it is, even if they go into it with a, you know, a young DJ Moore or Cortland Sutton falls to them, or they they take somebody like the likes of James Washington in that second round area, or Dante Pettis, um, or Anthony Miller out of Memphis. Those names are the names that you're going to hear a lot about. Um, all good players, if they take somebody in that area, the, the good part is they're not forced to be a big part of the action right away. You know, Corey Coleman was thrust into a starting role right off the bat. You know, you don't have that pressure uh, in an ideal world, and it looks like they won't have that pressure. But you do need to add somebody from a deep position group who can who can, who can can be there if things go sideways so we're not left in a position where we're trusting, um, you know, players who shouldn't be trusted like we saw in the first half of last year, and we give the quarterback a chance. So, it is smart. I think they'd be wise to take um, to take a wide receiver just because of the, the plethora of guys who are in that sweet spot. Like like was just said, um, you know, there's not a top end guy that you'll see in the first 15 picks. Probably a wide receiver. I think the first wide receiver taken is probably Dallas, um, Baltimore, Dallas area, the back half of the teens. So um, it's wise. There's a, there's a deep position group there. A lot of names that are going to be worth a. Uh, 35 or a pick 64 and it, it would just make sense for the long term of that position room to have a young player who they can build and, and kind of groom and bring along. Jake we'll start with you for number seven which is a big picture roster question for the Browns. How close is this to a playoff roster? However you want to answer that. Yeah that's a that's a good one. I don't think this is a playoff roster next year. Um, you know a lot of that's dependent upon who they who they draft and if we think they draft the right guys, but it's not, I see it and I, okay, like top end of the picture, things, everything goes right for this group. A seven and nine, eight and eight is the best outcome. I think they're going to have at the end of the day, they're still fighting who is in charge of the, of the franchise as the head coach. And that's a problem. We all can agree on that. Um, and, and I think they're just, they're, 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 they're going to be young still, 
There's a little bit of that layer to it. I, I just don't see if everything goes right, they can get to the playoffs. I could also see if it goes on the low end of the spectrum, you could be looking at a, a still something like a 3-13, and 4-12. and 12. So I don't think they're they're there yet. They can if they take this draft and do as, as most of us have a pretty good feeling on on what they could do if they, if they make the right choices at number one, four, and then those second rounders that are vital. Um, you know, it can be it can be a team that takes a step in the right direction, gets you that six and ten, seven and nine, eight and eight, where you're feeling really good, and then they have a pretty good draft next year where they can, you know, push it over the top. So you know, we'll we'll see. It's that's a tough question. Yeah. But I, I just don't think they're going to be quite there yet. And Pete, before you answer, you will notice that I did not say if it's a playoff coaching staff. I'm talking about the players on the roster. It's not even are they a playoff team to me. It's how close are they to when you look through the roster and look for difference makers and look for a little bit of depth, how close the roster is to being playoff worthy, Pete? Uh, it's a good thing you did uh, caveat to the coaching staff because, because <laughs> it's, I, I think they could do everything right this year and they're still going to be a 4 12, 5 and 11 league. Uh, the schedule's brutal and it's just going to be rough. If they had a good coaching staff, and I think they have the worst in the league, they could be in the playoffs this year. Uh, the fact that they don't, and they've sort of delayed themselves a year, I think pushes this back to 2020, and it's only because it's going to take as long as presumably Darnold takes to get you there. And it's really hard to expect a kid who will be 22 at the time next year, or you know, a year from now, yeah. that he's going to be ready to suddenly be in a position where even though they may have a playoff caliber defense, even if they may have a lot of pieces to a playoff caliber offense, it's going to take a minute for those guys to get together, and presumably they're going to have a new coaching staff to get adjusted to. So I I, I think if they had a great coaching staff, they could conceivably sneak into the playoffs this year. Uh, The fact that they don't, and and that's the choice Jimmy Haslam made, I think you're looking at 2020, and I think he's perfectly okay with that. Okay. Um, yeah, I think it's, and I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm very interested in, in people's evaluations of, you know, if you're going to be a playoff team, you need guys who, who play, who aren't just good starters in the NFL, guys who make a difference. And when you start thinking about Miles Garrett and if they draft Chubb and it seems like they have a decent linebacker core and maybe if they add a corner and, and they've added some depth to the secondary and if the receivers stay on the field and stay healthy and they spent all that money on the offensive line, you can the, the holes slowly but surely uh, are getting filled. And you can see how, you know, not to look ahead to next offseason, but they're still going to have an opportunity. If you get to the point where you have some young talent and maybe you have a coaching staff, whether it's this one or the next one that guys believe in. And, and maybe it's a place that when you have free agent meetings, you no longer have to overpay to get guys. Maybe you can just pay market value and guys think they have a chance to win here. I, I, I think you can just see it coming together, but um, I don't want to turn it into a Hugh Jackson podcast. You know, there, that's just a question hanging over the team, which is why I'm mostly interested in player talent more than overall team because we just have to sort of live with what we have now and see how that goes. Eight question eight, Pete. We'll start with you. It's it's um, again kind of a philosophical question, but I, I do recognize that longtime followers of the Browns have been through this before. That if you thought the Trent Richardson, Brandon Whedon draft was going to be the one that got you over the top, or when they drafted Joe Thomas and traded up for Brady Quinn or when they got Justin Gilbert and then drafted Johnny Manziel and everybody went nuts before. I understand they've been in a position before when people thought they were going to get talent and it didn't work out. The question for you, Pete, is do you feel like this just feels like all those drafts, that it's just another chance that the Browns have a shot, but, you know, they they have a good, they might blow it too? Or do you think this feels different because of some of the young talent, because of the salary cap space, because the way this has been set up, do you feel like this has a chance to be different than the drafts that didn't go well before, that this is a different stage of, of franchise building for the Browns? Uh, it's definitely different because they control their own destiny, and they haven't done that since 2000 in terms of being able to sit at the top of the draft and say, we are taking the best player or, and quarterback in this situation 99 with Tim Couch is the last time they'd be able to say, 
this is our quarterback. Nobody else can take it. It's not like where you, you know, Trent Richardson, you had Robert Griffin III, and you had Andrew Luck go before you. You didn't have the ability to say, we've got the entire scope of the draft, and we're going to take the best quarterback. That's huge, and that's why they have to make this work, because it's a, you know, it, it could turn out in five years that none of these quarterbacks can play. But, you know, I think it's safe to say that there's going to be at least a great quarterback from this class, and the Browns have to get it, and they have the other, the fourth pick. That's certainly valuable as well uh, to be able to sort of control their own destiny. Which, and, and, and the way it's looking, they may be able to get. You know, if, if you take Saquon Barkley out of it, which seems like the way the Giants are going to go, that you'll have again the, the, the chance to get, if not for Barkley, the best position player in the draft. If you don't trade down, that's an enormous difference that the Browns just have not had. But you mentioned the young talent. The the fact of the matter is that, and, and you mentioned this on the last pod you did, Miles Garrett is sort of an accepted thing. Mm-hmm. Like, he's great. He's just great, and you know he's going to be great. And, and you know, and, and I think a lot of the ways you can sort of suggest that Sashi Brown did a good job is the fact that the most buzz out of guys from last year's class I, I hear about are Larry Ogunjobi and Caleb Brantley. And Larry Ogunjobi, I loved coming out of college. I thought he was going to be great. I'm happy to be right on that. He's a great kid, super intelligent. They've got a Mensa group up on defensive line. But the fact that we, we have three first-round picks from last year and we're sitting there going, well, maybe Caleb Brantley, the sixth-round pick, uh, is the guy that could really step up and make this class great. That's something that has not happened in a long time, and, and I know a lot of people don't like Jabril Peppers for you know whatever reason, if it's a Michigan thing, it's whatever else, but I do think that there's a recognition that the kid can play a little bit, uh, and, and, made, and that he was out of position and, and, and other things, but even at, at free safety, that after the bye week, he got so much better, and then you saw him at the Pittsburgh game, when he got to play at essentially his home, and he was a terror. And that David Njoku, you know, set all kinds of rookie records. I know they're the Browns' rookie records. They don't mean much given the last 20 years. But he still looked really, really good. That You have all these guys, and it's sort of like accepted. It's not and – and I think Corey Coleman's going to be a successful football player. I really – I'm rooting for him. I hope the injuries are behind him. I think he's incredibly talented. But you don't have that guy sort of hanging out there the way Coleman is this past year where you're sitting there going, is he or isn't he? And I mm-hmm. think that's that's a huge positive, and, and you know, certainly for Sashi Brown, but for John Dorsey, too, that he's not sitting there having to ask questions about, you know, is is so-and-so going to be good this year? It's, it's basically a question with, like, Miles Garrett, whose biceps are as big as his head. How good is he going to be? How great is he going to be? You know, you know, last year, he was 21 and he was the best player on the defense. And the second best guy on the defense was Emmanuel Ogba, who was at on 23. Like the, the, the excitement you can have just on that. And then you add in Larry Ogunjobi. And then you have these linebackers. And you have all these other guys added in, at least on the defensive side of the ball, maybe more so than the offense. You have guys that fans can sort of gravitate to and get excited about and going, you know, we have something in the Browns in Miles Garrett and Emmanuel Ogba. You can say, there are 31 other teams that wish they had that guy. And the Browns have that for a change. And now they've got that opportunity again with those top four, you know, top two picks in the top four where they can do that with a quarterback and then another player. And that's reason to be really excited and why I really hate, and it's not his fault, the Josh Allen talk. He didn't do it. But that makes you know nervous, and I think it's, again, I think it's somewhat of a TV thing you're building up this drama that's almost being turned into sort of the, the Browns version of the decision uh, that, that it could go so right or so wrong for a franchise in this. But just if they get it right, and, and we all assume they will, or, you know, to the extent we believe in Sam Darnold, that you have so much where you can go, wow, this is really going to be exciting. I just want to see it happen. Jake, do you feel like that? Do you feel like this is a different stage, like a line in the sand for the franchise, or do you feel it's more of a repeat of the past? No, I think I think a lot of the points that were just made are spot on. I mean, you've got to think of the two, the history involved in having two 
picks in the top five. That hasn't happened since, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, was it 2000 Washington that had two, the last team that had hmm. two picks in the top five? Yes, sir. So, so yeah, so Peter Warwick trade made, yeah. was very angry. <laughs> the Browns passed on him once when Washington passed on him twice. Absolutely, and it's that's what I'm getting at, is this will... This is the first time this sort of thing has happened in, you know, 17, 18 years, and it's it's historic. Whether we want, whether people want to admit it or not, there have been some good articles on it. I know Evan Silver wrote a little article on the history of the draft capital that they have here, mm-hmm. or somebody did. Um, but yeah, I mean, th- th- it's it's going to be a draft that we look back on. I, mean, I actually kind of plan to pen something this week on just how important this draft is for this franchise coming off of what has been to... You know, admittedly, really difficult one in fifteen, zero in sixteen seasons. After you know, perpetual rebuild after perpetual rebuild. Um, you know, it just it has to click, and the, the history here is 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 going to be huge. It's going to be a draft people talk about for a long time, just by nature of if they keep the fourth pick. I should make that caveat that it's going to be something that they look back on all the time. And like Pete said, I mean, they have they have a roster base. You know, the, the article I tried to pin this year on. On roster worthy, you know, star mm-hmm. caliber players, they they have those guys that are there and are known commodities coming out of the last two drafts. The Joe Stoberts, you know, the Ogan Jobies, the Ogbas, the you know, we're talking about adding Bradley Chubb to two defensive ends who are already pretty good. I mean, that's that's exciting. That's the stuff people really get excited about. You know, you have skill at wide receiver. You have a base. There's a base there, and then you have all of this draft capital to take to put on top of that base and. If they just, you know, they pick the right quarterback in a really loaded quarterback class and capitalize on the fourth pick, whether that's taking the guy at four or still keeping the draft first round, double first round pick concept alive later on after this year, it can be, it's just going to be very vital. And the good part is we do know, although they went 0-16, there's been the constant discussion that there were games that they should have won, which was clear as day. The roster was good enough to win games. You can see the base that's there and the base is full of young players who are really I think are really good. You, you you just can't deny when you turn on the tape seeing guys like Ogunjobi and Scobert and, and Jabril Peppers and Derek Kindred and, and David Njoku, those guys pop off the tape. They're doing the right things. As they get older, they're going to get better. And then you're adding in a core group of five picks, five picks, guys, in the top 64. That's unprecedented, and it could just change everything. So I think that the hope is there, and there's reason to be really positive about it. Number nine, Jake. We'll start with you again. This is this is kind of zeroing in again on on the guy who's who's in control of all this, and John Dorsey. Um, as we prepare to watch him execute this draft, what's your grade for what Dorsey has done so far with Jarvis Landry, with the Tyrod Taylor trade, giving up the first pick in the third round for him, um, with the other guys they got in the secondary, what grade would you give John Dorsey so far, mostly with how he's used this cap space? Uh, he kept, you know, he, he didn't give away any of the first five picks in the first two rounds. What would you say about John Dorsey's grade? Yeah, I think it's been a solid B. There are some different directions I would have went in free agency, but the beautiful part of, I think, some of the things he did in free agency are um, aligned to the fact that they didn't commit anything long-term. They obviously have the cap bubble over the next two years with rollover. They didn't commit anything past that. You still have a plethora of cap space available on top of that. So they're in an okay position. Even the Jarvis Landry trade, which I don't mind Jarvis Landry as a player so much. I, I get where people are on both sides of the fence. And, t- and trust me, I see I see what both sides are talking about. But even his contract is... As, as wonky as it is to pay a slot receiver that kind of money, they are out of it in two years if they need to be out of it in two years when the cap restrictions get a little bit tighter after the bubble comes to an end. So I get it. The, the things where I enjoyed were the, how they structured. So there were some names I wish they could have got. I understand that those guys have a choice to pick any of the other 31 teams that are out there, so I understand that. Um, some of the you know the Carlos Hyde signing was a little weird, but it's, it's, it's a solid B for me. He kept the cap where it's manageable in the future. And he got his quarterback, you know, I'm a Tyrod Taylor believer, probably I'm more on the side of he's a good quarterback than what most people feel like, especially I talk to a lot of Buffalo people. Um, You know, I I get both sides of that argument too. But there's something to really value about going into the season where we don't have to question who the starting quarterback is going to be. You get a guy who's a leader of men. Um, Players respect Tyrod Taylor. Obviously he's, he's, he's full of limitations, but he's also produced pretty well. Um, and he can carry you to winning football games, and there's there's just something to that. And you're giving up only a third round pick for that. Um, you know that's that I'm fine with that. That's okay to me. So 
Um, I'm giving him a solid B. Some people might be a little lower. Some people might be a little higher. I think it's right at the at the middle ground of where it's, it's at. It could go up if he has a good draft, um, but it's it's a solid B for me. All right, a B from Jake. What's your grade, Pete? Uh, probably a lower B, maybe a high C. Uh, I'll start with Tyrod Taylor. I price him into the quarterback decision, and and if it if it works and they get their guy, it'll be a great trade. That I mean, no one will no one will be unhappy that they had Tyrod Taylor for a year. If it doesn't work and they you know and the quarterback can't play, even if Tyrod Taylor is good this year, it won't matter. So you know, I priced that in. Um. Jarvis Landry, I mean, he's inefficient, he's overrated, he's got the third highest guaranteed money of any receiver in football, he's not one of the top three receivers in football, and in a perfect world, he's maybe the number three option in Cleveland, because you'd like to hope that uh, Josh Gordon's going to be your number one guy, you're hoping a guy like David Njoku or Duke Johnson, who I think did Landry's job better than Landry uh, last year, is, is getting the second third amount, and you hope a guy like Corey Coleman. Like, the perfect scenario is that Jarvis Landry is ultimately rendered useless by the talent they have, but if you find yourself in a situation where Jarvis Landry is your leading receiver, this offense is not going to be good. It just doesn't doesn't work. Uh, Chris Hubbard, great. Uh, I, I, you know, he's certainly not the prototype. He's very unique, uh, but what makes him very interesting is if they go with a guy like Harold Landry, they get really small, speed rusher type guy. Chris Hubbard's like the one guy in the division who's really equipped to deal with it, and the Browns took him. So, mm. like, the rest of the division is full of these big, lumbering tackles, which is okay if that's what you're facing. But if you get smaller guys and you can really mix up your fronts and stuff, I think the Browns can give teams a lot of trouble. Uh, defensively, I actually really like the way he approached it. In that, and, and I think it's somewhat interesting, he got, everybody is on a one-year deal, essentially. Now, they, they've got options and this, that, and the other, but, and, and I tie this into the coaching staff as much as I do the player performance themselves, if, and this is particularly, particularly the secondary, if the Browns decide to fire everybody and decide they don't want to run this type of coverage scheme, they can literally get rid of everybody except Jabril Peppers. I mean, they can literally get rid of the entire room and start from scratch. Uh, and that's interesting. On the other hand, if they want to stay with this, or these guys like a TJ Carey, who I, I really like because he tackles, uh, in addition to the other things he does, uh, those guys prove their worth. Now you've got guys who have sort of earned their way, and you're, you're rewarding the right guys with these contracts, and, and, and I like the fact that they I, those contracts to me are really smart, really prudent, uh, but, you know, Carlos Hyde, another one, like I said earlier, I, I, I would have opted for another running back uh, along with, you know, two in this draft, but he may provide a real value as what I would hope would be the third back in this offense mm-hmm. behind whoever they get. And then Duke Johnson doing what Duke Johnson did. But one of the things that hurt the Browns last year is when I could say Crowell was in his own head and really struggled. They didn't have a guy to really put in there and just feed the ball a little bit and, and maybe change things up. And I think, if nothing else, Carlos Hyde can do that. Or, you know, they want to shorten the game or, God forbid, they have a lead in the fourth quarter. <laughs> they can actually you know, shorten the game, grind the clock out a little bit and just keep guys fresh and let them do that. So, you know, there are things that make me worry about John Dorsey doing John Dorsey things like he was uh, uh, criticized for in Kansas City. However, there's certainly the element that there are a lot of these uh, contracts, and all of them really, where they can sort of pull the – pull the ripcord in a year or two and get rid of everybody, which is good. The only issue you have there is sort of the quote-unquote opportunity cost of what does two years of Jarvis Landry mean you're not getting from somewhere else, like in the draft or wherever? What does, you know, Carlos Hyde mean you're not getting in the draft? That type of thought process. But the the best thing I can say about the free agency, particularly with Tyrod Taylor, is it cleared the deck of being able to say anything else other than answering one question, 
who's the best quarterback for the Cleveland Browns? Not who's got to play, or is this guy ready, or mm-hmm. this, that, and the other. All they have to answer is the sim- they made it really simple. And, 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 and even if you don't like the third-round price tag, that is a lot of peace of mind for that front office and the, the entire organization is being just go, who's the best quarterback? We're picking him. All right, this is number 10, and guys, you can sort of take this as like your final wrap-up statement about the state of the Browns heading into the draft, and Jake, we'll start with you. My question basically is, is are the Browns on an upward trajectory? And, and whatever you want to say about that, what you, what you think about Jimmy Haslam, who still plays a huge role in this, and there are certainly questions about his ownership, Hugh Jackson and this staff, the roster, the front office, everything about the Browns. Do you think they're on an upward trajectory, Jake? Yeah, I mean, it's hard right now to think they're not. I think that you you look at the young roster, the pieces that are there, you feel good about the base before this draft, um, some of the signings. You, you You can see some positive momentum. Um, and, and it's hard to think that they're not on the upward trend. Now, it can all come crashing down very quickly. I don't like to do the negativity side of things, but there's there's certainly two things that I'm really afraid of. Um, one is the, the, the Josh Allen route in the draft, is, is taking Josh Allen and then, um, you know, and obviously that won't have an effect on the immediate, um, but it, it, it long-term will, it will have ramifications. I think that that is what I'm most afraid of right now because it seems very plausible. We've almost ruled out the anybody but a quarterback at the top of the draft, so I, I don't really entertain that one. But the Josh Allen thing, it's hard not to entertain. And then the second is, you, you do have a good draft. You feel really good about Saquon, or sorry, you feel really good about taking Sam Darnold, and you took Bradley Chubb, and, and you're feeling really good going into the season, and then you know, heaven forbid, it gets interesting. I have this thought running through my, my head quite a bit, and, and, and I just attacked it on Twitter not too long ago, is, you know, say, say they open the year with, with Pittsburgh and, and, they, and they, get, they get blown out, and then they go to New Orleans and they, they, they suffer a heavy loss there. And then here comes week three, and guess who gets picked third by the Jets? Probably Baker Mayfield. Thursday Touchdown, night football, Baker. he comes in, lights them up, and then you probably you're going to entertain letting go of your head coach after an 0 and 3 start after 1 and 31, and then it's just all of your momentum will just feel deflated. So it's very easy to be on a high. It's very easy to feel good about everything. But I just have the issue with the top of the organization. Obviously, Jimmy Haslam does Jimmy Haslam things, and you can never really feel comfortable with what he's thinking and what he's trying to do behind the scenes. But I just don't feel confident in their head coach, and when there's the pause plausible idea that they could fire him anywhere from week four to week 12 you just you just get nervous and, and, and it's it's hard to feel like they're truly on the up and up all together when he's at the top of the organization so um you know as i sit here right now we're having this podcast i i i find it hard to avoid optimism but that optimism can certainly come crashing down when uh you know when the season starts and they face a tough beginning of the year schedule, so we'll see. I'm, I'm optimistic to answer your question. I'm optimistic now. It's tough not to think they can't really do some things here with this opportunity, but I also have this is the Browns, and I've been here on this emotional, uh, optimistic cloud before. So you know, show me at the end of the day, show me some wins. You know, Pete, your final statement. So the way I look at this is, if the Browns had no draft picks at all, they would be better this year. They just have so many guys that they brought in that are young rookies or second-year guys who have no idea how good they are or what they're doing, and presumably they're going to get better. So they are on an upward swing. The the caveat to that is, and I I look at it like this, Jimmy Haslam and Hugh Jackson are sort of the governor. Like, they can limit how high this goes. there's no, and they can certainly derail it. I mean, Josh Allen, if they take him, they might as well put the franchise down because after the last two years, if you then take that, he's the epic bust he's expected to be uh, by anyone who's sane, then this was all a waste of time and nobody's going to show up, and they should. But if they get Sam Darnold, if they get Bradley Chubb, if they do all these things, it becomes a question of they have real players, uh, and, and Dorsey deserves every bit of criticism getting for that statement um and they're going to get better it's now 
can you surround those good players with the right coaching staff? Can you avoid being your own worst enemy as the owner? Can you, you know, just let it work itself out? Because I, th- I feel like in some ways, the players are the, are, are the most, uh, the best thing they've got going for them. And, 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 and partly you're almost just like leave them alone and let them do it rather than everybody trying to interfere or, or fix it or do whatever they're going to do. So I, I really do think it's hard for them to not be on some sort of an upswing. And, and you know, there's, you know, they shouldn't have been 1-31. They just shouldn't. They should have been 3-13 the year they went 1-15, one and, one and, and they should have won a handful again last year. Uh, but that's the governor effect. That's where you have this, this head coach, this ownership, sort of limiting how good these guys can be. You have these truly special players that are basically not allowed to win either because they're making their own mistakes, like Miles Garrett running a, a touchdown where he looks like a tight end. And you have a guy offside or, or coaching mistakes or this, that, and the other. Uh, there is absolutely momentum, and it's up to the organization to sort of not get in the way of it. Pete and Jake, you guys both know I respect your work. I, I love following you guys on Twitter. You are the first return guests on takes by the lake we've done individual podcasts with each of you before i was excited to get you guys on together so so thanks to both of you for taking an hour out of your time i think i told you it was going to be half an hour but i thought that was a great hour of brown's talk so pete thanks to you and jake thanks to you guys and that's it for this takes by the lake we might do one more before the draft i hope um sometime next week We'll see, but thanks to everyone for following along. It's an exciting time, I think, to be a Browns fan. I know it's a frustrating time when you're coming off 0-16, but I think there's a lot of hope here, Uh, and I I hope Browns fans feel good uh, next Thursday, Friday, and Saturday about how this draft goes. So, again, thanks to Jake Burns. Thanks to Pete Smith. Thanks to you guys for listening. I'm Doug Lane Maurice from Cleveland.com, and we'll talk to you next time.